At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. Okay, so Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. I'm Patrick Maher, live from the VSIN studios here at the South Point. Michael Lombardi, I guess I could, should call myself Jim Cantori. Is that the Weather Channel guy? Because we're going to go, <laughs> we've got the storm check over there with Michael Lombardi. What's going on, man? Not much. We're preparing for it, Patrick. You know, we got to get salt, got to get your shovel ready. You know, it's going to be a big one. That's what they're telling us. The they're nor- telling us the it's nor'easter. coming. The, the nor'easter. The nor'easter on which, the way. 2022. Which is, yeah, which is fascinating because typically we don't, usually at these coastal towns along the eastern seaboard, they get mostly rain. The storms come from west to east, and, and this one's coming south to north. So it's coming right along the coastline. And the areas in Jersey that are going to get most uh, hammered are, are going to be uh, all the, the seaside towns, the Cape May counties, the Atlantic counties, Ocean counties, all along the Bruce Springsteen Highway. So is Thomas Gable recovering already? Because he's not going to have his buddy there with him tomorrow at the Borgata. Well, he's already, I mean, Thomas Gable is a devoted worker at the Borgata. There's no doubt. I called him on my way into the office today to check on him to make sure he was right. He lives in a little town north of of me, right by where the casino is called Brigantine. And so he's already there. He's spending the weekend at the Borgata. He's going to, him and his pals at the Borgata are going to just bunker in and and try to handle it. And he's at the best place because you're not going to be able to move around. they're, they're They're calling it a blizzard condition and they want everybody to stay at home because they're not going to be able to get the roads cleared in for in order for you to get from point A to point B. So he's fortunate that he has the ability to stay at at a, at a wonderful hotel. Yeah, Gable got the penthouse suite at the Water Club. You know that. Yeah, I'm he sure got, he probably did. got good you parking know. too. He's probably going to have a hell of a meal at the Homestead or, or you know, one of those restaurants in there. I'm sure he'll be in good shape. Him and him and him and a lot of our friends over there. He'll have Bobby Flay preparing it for him himself. Well, that is tomorrow. You know, it's the irony is you're so impacted and everybody on the East Coast impacted, but our two games on Championship Sunday will not be impacted. I mean, we're going to have perfect weather in Kansas City. It's going to be close to 50 degrees and sunny. I mean, January 30th. A game played. I mean, and I, as I continue to research the NFL and the ice bowl being played on New Year's Eve, 67, you know, at minus 13 degrees. Here we are, you know, a month later and we're going to have almost tropical conditions. I mean, you know, what's fascinating is in Florida this weekend, you know, or, or starting is going to be bitter cold in Florida. I mean, I think the high down in Florida is going to barely reach 50 degrees. 
and which is going to be the same typical weather they're going to get in Kansas City. So that's kind of surprising. Yeah. That, that is wild. And then, of course, the dome there at SoFi. So we'll be good this weekend. Well, you stay safe. Uh, it, so tomorrow it's either the office or we might even get you from your house tomorrow with Bella. We, we, we might have a peek inside. Yeah, Bella, well, who loves the snow, she'll be outside in it the whole day, so we don't have to worry about her. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to be hard to uh, – to uh, I got to get a Panzer division to get me out. We'll see. We'll see what happens, but we'll we'll make it work, Patrick. I, I mean, we'll deliver the mail. I mean, come rain, come shine, and whatever we got to do. I'll be Newman. I'll be delivering that mail. All right. I look forward. I'm not to gonna it. leave you. I'm not gonna leave you. No, alone. I look forward to it, man. We're gonna have some fun this weekend. Championship weekend, of course. Now, as Vinny was walking out, he did say the South Point went to seven and a half in Kansas City. We talked about it yeah. yesterday. Everybody's juiced to one fifteen, one twenty for new betters. As you go up with the juice, that means you're headed up with the number and so you see it there officially seven and a half and 54 they opened 51 you know books vary regionally i had openers close to 53 but they open much lower here at the south point you know and so where we are DraftKings are at 54 and a half minus seven with 120 a lot of juice on that they're going to go to seven and a half soon circa is at 54 and a half 110 soon to go to uh to and they're and they're minus seven at 115 so you know, Westgate's at minus 120. I mean, this is, if you like the Chiefs, now's the time to do it. Or, you know, maybe when it gets to seven and a half, it'll come back down again if people start betting the Bengals. But I don't see that happening. I think this is the more you analyze the game, especially when you go back over the last game, especially when you revisit that and knowing that Cincinnati was struggling to stay in that game and it took a valiant effort in the second half. Uh, because they were going to, they were not going to be able to cover in that game, uh, the Bengals. But they held the the Chiefs to three points in the second half, really in the fourth quarter, and then they dominated the game in the fourth, where the Chiefs barely had the football, and that that was was able to win the game. Yeah, and for those that forget, that's Week 17. The Bengals win 34-31. The offenses combined for 889 yards. That was the Jamar Chase game. Really, it's every yeah. game for them is the Burrow game because he's saving them with this offensive front. But the Chase game, 11 receptions, 266, and three touchdowns. But if you go back to what you just said, Kansas City, three different times in the first half, led by 14 points. So this was... It imbalanced in the first half. It really was. And, you know, and, and, and I think that they played the classic tennis match, which is we get the lead, you got to hold serve each time you go back through it. And, and you know, in the first halves, you know, we didn't see Cincinnati hold serve as much. And in the second half, they did. And I, and I think that really became the game. And when you study this tape, I mean, it was it was really a lot of mistakes by the Chiefs that allowed this offense yeah. to really get going. I mean, think about it. the first drive of the game, the Chiefs go three and out. And then the next four drives, they score touchdowns. They go boom, 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 right down the field. And and then obviously at the end of the half, they have to they settle for the end of the half. They got the ball 41 seconds. But and then they only had one drive. They only had one drive in the fourth quarter. And that drive went 11 plays for 52 yards and kicked a field goal. So what the what the Bengals did is a wonderful job in the second half of eliminating what the Chiefs have in the football. And when you can do that, you know, you've got a better chance. But when you analyze the plays the Bengals made, you know, jump ball to chase, great catch. A blown coverage on a, on a, on a, on a cover two pass, don't carry the guy touchdown. And then you allow the guy to catch it in zone and nobody tackles him. I mean, those are, can you repeat those? You have to ask yourself, can you repeat those plays? Can those plays come back again? Are you going to be able to duplicate this style of offense again? 
And I think that's going to be really hard. I think it's going to be really hard to do. I mean, they couldn't run the ball. They, had, they, they tried to run it 19 times. They averaged about 3-2 a carry. Mixon had the longest run of 13 yards. I just think this is a matchup that doesn't favor the Bengals. And the Bengals, I thought, were fortunate to beat the Raiders. I thought were really fortunate to beat Tennessee. And I'm not taking anything away from them. They did. They won those games. But as we've seen, teams that eventually have had some pattern of luck during it, the conference championship game, all the luck seems to go away. Are you considering Kansas? I'm just trying to get a feel for the Bengals and your thought. Are they a paper tiger or is this just a bad matchup in your estimation? Is this a team that doesn't belong in the final four? Big picture? I think they don't. I mean, look, the, the Raider game, the Raiders had the ball first and go with the nine, throwing it in the end zone. And, you know, and, and they spike it. And then Carr throws it short on fourth down. The Tennessee game, they're plus four in the turnover takeaway if you count the fourth and one non-converted and they, and they win the game by a field goal. I mean, it's very, uh, to me, serendipitous that they've been able to. And you, and I'm not taking the credit away from them. I'm really not. But this is, the, this is going to be an offense that they're going to have a hard time stopping, a hard time matching up to. And they're playing on the road. And offensive lines don't travel well. We said that last week. They gave up nine sacks. I thought what Burrow did better than anybody was held on to the football. Held on to the football. Yeah. The remarkable thing is, the last time they played, each team only had nine possessions, and they clicked over at 65, which the, the, the over-under at 54-and-a-half is really unbelievable. And if you get that many possessions, you've got to make – I think the Chiefs are going to realize, we've got to make this work. The Chiefs' mentality is simply this. We have got to build this lead and make this offensive line have to pass protect, and we will win this game going away. So – you and I have talked extensively about the mitigation of home field advantage. As a matter of fact, we were just barely above 500 straight up for the home teams this year. Over the last three years, it's right around a little under 52% for the home team. So it, we used to be closer to 60%, and now we're kind of coming back to it's pretty much a toss-up. Now, 7-2 and two at home for the Chiefs this year, part of what makes this advantageous for the Chiefs is just the comfortability of staying home. It's not that they're coming back from the road. They were there last week, and they stick right. around. They're in their normal routine. I think that helps them with the team that went 7-2 and two at Arrowhead this year. No doubt. And I think it also helps them that Ron Tolbert isn't referee in the game. Because remember the game, there was a false start in that game and the goal line that wasn't called. Remember how fortunate they were on that? You talk about all the fortunate things that have happened for the Bengals. No false start. The penalty in the end zone. The two penalties in the goal line. I mean, there's a lot of things that went in their favor. Do you think that can repeat itself? I think the best thing, if you're a Chief fan, that, that makes you feel the happiest is the fact that you lost to them. That there's a sense of revenge. That they've beaten you once. They've outplayed you one time. And Burrow was dynamic throwing for 446 yards and four touchdowns. And, Ch and Chase was incredible with his 11 catches for 266 yards. That's got your attention. Now we've got to go out and make, make sure we fix this. Because if we don't, then the 13 seconds, the unbelievable comeback, the basically the, the Grim Reaper comeback is all going to go to waste. You know, I'm curious, especially after the effect of Chase's game in 17, I wonder if Kansas City is going to be uber-focused. They were on digs. They essentially eliminated digs, but then Gabe Davis pops up with four touchdowns, and they have Higgins, and they have Boyd behind him. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I mean, look, they, they, they've got to force somebody out because they can tackle Boyd, and they can tackle Higgins. They can't seem to tackle Chase. 
Now, boy, now Higgins is a good player, but I think what you saw Tennessee do is play some zone, make sure that you've got a good way to, to handle Chase, and then let your front four handle the pressure. Let them, you know, get your best player on Spain. Get your best player on their right tackle. Make sure that you're able to push this lineback. Make Burrow have to hold the ball for a little bit of time. Attack their protections, which the Titans did a wonderful job of. Yeah, after all the clowning of Kansas City and their inability to cover, they have covered six straight at home. So we shall see. I, The biggest thing for me there is you're not necessarily focused on the Chiefs right now. There's more of a focus on the Bengals, and I think that's important. Uh, that's an overview. Bengals, Chiefs, when we return, we'll get into where the number is and a little overview, San Francisco and Los Angeles, two teams quite familiar with one another. It's a Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. It's Visa and the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare to the Lombardi line on VSEN featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again, here's Patrick Maher. Okay, Brent, thank you. Nevada playoffs. Football season is here. It's time to download BetMGM Sports. It's Nevada's premier sports betting app. As all your favorite wagering options go in-game with the betting, boosted odd specials, and much more, download the BetMGM app. Stop by today any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM state-of-the-art technology, fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years or older, physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. If you do have a gambling problem, it's 1-800-522-4700. Okay. Michael Lombardi there in Philly where it appears the Philly fans were not very nice to Carmelo. I don't, and I'm sure you're on Carmelo's side here as not a 76er fan, but man, they need to take it easy there in the city of brotherly love being mean to What the did they opposer. do? I, I didn't see it. I, what did they do? I, I missed the it. The taunting, apparently, uh, Mello said the taunting was when, a, when above what is normal or acceptable as far as taunting mellow fans in Philly crossed the line with their taunting. No way. Not Philly fans. <laughs> Carmelo. I doubt that. You're still that clocking checks, like bro. Him. Take it easy. I doubt that. Yeah. I mean, he's been around enough to know 
I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, once you once you let it out, then if then then you're saying it bothers you. If you don't say anything, it doesn't bother you. There it is. Okay. So late night. Well, not necessarily late night. Um, San Francisco and, and Los Angeles at SoFi. Mm. It, this is <laughs> it's fascinating as we get another matchup between these two. You you saw what happened with McVeigh. McVeigh was asked. It's a kind of an odd question, but is Shanahan in your head? And he said. No, period. And then just kind of <laughs> let it hang there awkwardly. Uh, but, you know, has to say it. Three and a half. Open three and a half, Michael. Sitting three and a half. You know, the juice is headed closer to three, but we really are hanging on to that hook right now. You know, and you go back and watch the first game, and, and you could make a case once again for either team. I mean, the Rams had a great opportunity to to put the game away. They've got a 17-3 to lead. They go into halftime, and quickly they give up two quick scores. And the pressure started to get to started to get to Stafford in the second half, and he was able to lead him on a drive. And then Garoppolo takes him on the last drive of the game, where they're able to come back down the field and and score to send the game to overtime. And you know, look, it, it, it was you know they went five plays basically in in a minute, you know, 83 yards, and scored a touchdown. And so. You know, I think that was that really ultimately was the game. And when you look at the when you look at what they did in overtime, they got the ball to start the overtime and they drove it all the way down the field. They went twelve plays, Patrick, and they went almost eighty yards. And they Jimmy the was field great on that two, drive. Two forty five to go. The last two drives Jimmy was great. Yes, I mean he was. the second half Jimmy played great. He threw an interception, but you know, he you know, he he played well and in the second half of that game you know, they didn't play well for the Rams. So I think it's back and forth. And I think whatever defensive front is can dominate. The last time they played, you know, I keep harping on this Trent Williams injury, which I think is significant. But the last time they played, Trent Williams wasn't on the field either. Trent Williams missed that game. And they did a great job of protecting him and making sure that, you know, that, that Garoppolo felt like he was good against Von Miller and they had both sides. So, you know, and... I just think Garoppolo's going to be through for 300 yards. He's going to have to he, – they're not going to be able to win the game without some play from their quarterback. That, that's the key. And it's the same thing with, with the Rams. They're not going to win this game if Matthew Stafford turns this ball over like he did the last time they played. The, the 49ers have won six straight in this matchup against their division rivals, including, as you just mentioned, the 17-point come behind in Week 18. Remember, they needed that game to get into the postseason. So, yep. I mean, that was – it, it's it's really fa- this is a confirmation bias situation because confirmation bias, Michael, has a way of we, we interpret the new information to kind of plug into our existing theories. And I wondered I've, I've wondered why we haven't continued to come back to the 49ers because we've continued to see the 49ers dominate this Rams team. It's interesting right. that we haven't I- gone to three yet. You know, it is. It really is. And, and I think this, more than anything, I think the Mika Ryans, I mean, in the last time they played them, if you just watch the tape, you know, they, the Rams couldn't move the 49ers off the ball at all. They dominated the line of scrimmage. They got in some of these third-down situations against the 49ers and converted third and longs. You know, the Niners tried to play zone, and they didn't handle it. They, they took the first two plays of the game, the first two drives of the game, excuse me, the first two drives of the game, they had the ball for 64 plays in the entire game. The Rams did. An overtime game, which is really small. And the first two drives were responsible for 25 of those plays. So my point here is Ryan's did a really good job of adjusting. 
he did a really good job. Where he fell short and became problematic was, and this has been the Achilles heel of the 49ers, as for as good as they've been able to dominate on third down, they've let teams get out of, the, get, get out of it. Third and 12. First, one, of the first drive, one of the first drives of the game, they're sitting there third and 18, and Beckham makes a great catch, and they get the first down, they get the drive going again. And so they're going to have to do a good job on third down. Now, conversely, the 49ers were really good on third down in this game as well. But to only hold the Rams to 265 total yards in the game and still allow 24 points, to me, isn't really is remarkable on the Rams' part. If they hold the Rams to 265 again, they will win the game. Wins have become the nemesis of the statistic community. Right. The analytic community says wins don't matter. That's why they're so down on Jimmy G. But you also can't measure. I'll kind of counter that with an abstract idea or concept. You can't counter that with, you know, galvanization. How about this? Garoppolo is six and oh in his last six starts against the Rams. Uh, they they the Rams between the hashes. They're they're bad defending the pass in the middle. And that's where Kittle can dominate. I mean, he has played well against this Rams team. I, I, it's, it's this fascinating continuing conversation of Jimmy G. Jimmy G is such a polarizing figure. As we know from it was we know from. Uh, you know, as we know from from Amal, who, you know, everybody blames him. But if I were to say to you, you know, Jimmy G averages 8.6 yards per attempt, is that good? It's great. You'd say, well, this, you know, in the year they went to the Super Bowl, he averaged 8.3, you know. And so does Jimmy G throw too many interceptions? Absolutely. The year they went to the Super Bowl, he, he threw interceptions 2.7% of the time. This year he's thrown 2.7% of the time. You know, this year he averages 254 yards per game. In the Super Bowl year, he averaged 248. I mean, look, I'm not saying Jimmy's perfect, but I, my whole point with Amal has been, and with all the Jimmy G criticism is, he is part of their equation. He's not carrying the team, but when they've needed him to play well, when they needed him to make some plays, and he does some bonehead things. There's no doubt. And I'm not. But against the Rams, when he's got to drive the ball down the field, 89 yards, 80 some yards, and in, in, in a minute and get a touchdown, he seems to be able to do it. And he's endeared himself. I mean, the guy is 31 and 14 as the starter in regular season games for the 49ers. I know that doesn't seem to matter to most people in the analytical community, which I understand. But you know, I mean, look, it's just the way it is. It, you can't deny it. And if, if Trey Lance had these numbers, we would be we would be talking about him for yes, the Hall of Fame. You'd be laud you'd be lauding him. If it was Jimmy G, Trey Lance, Matthew Stafford, whomever, the philosophy of the 49ers and Shanahan is still going to be off the strong run game. That's just like that people use the argument, well, he's protected by the run game. That is the Shanahan philosophy. That's what he's asked right. to do. He's asked to come off the run. It, 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 whether it's Matt Ryan, whether it's Matt Schaub whether it's Jimmy G, whomever is the quarterback, is always going to be asked to run the Shanahan's offense. Brian Hoyer, who first went out to San Francisco because he had success with Kyle when Kyle was the coordinator one year in, in, in Cleveland. So whoever is the whoever's the quarterback, they're going to do it. Now, how they do it and how they perform is based on the player. But, you know, when Mullen did it, it didn't work. When C.J. Beathard did it, it wasn't very good. They couldn't win games. Now that, now that Jimmy does it, he wins games. Okay, yeah, they're good on defense. I'm not saying Jimmy's in a top five quarterback or a top ten, 
But I just think he gets so much of the blame that people tend to ignore some of the good things he does and some of the bonehead plays he makes. If he would eliminate them, he could he could kind of get some of the criticism away. The dumb passes, the one in Tennessee that he makes, the one last week when he's running to his right. He has no breeze. Throw the ball out of bounds. But he does make some great throws. I mean, I saw Kyle talking about one of the throws he made late in the game. He thought it was one of the best throws of the season. He's the only one who supports him. I mean, seriously, I think the only one who really likes him, besides Jimmy's parents and I'm sure his girlfriend, is is Kyle. Everybody else wants him out of the game. <laughs> It'd be weird if Jimmy's girlfriend was sitting at home like, you know, this Amal guy's got a good point, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, there's just I, I've never seen such. He's become quite polarizing, man. It's unbelievable. Like I'm again. There's got to be some middle ground here. There's got to be some middle ground. He's not, he's not horrible, you know, and I think part of this is from the, you know, is from the, the, the 49ers front office. I mean, look, if, if Lance was, was everything they thought he would be and then some, they would probably be playing him. But they know that they can't stand in front. The team likes Garoppolo. You can't deny no, the chemistry deny between the players. You can't deny it. And unless you've been around good teams and understand championship teams, I don't think you can recognize it. I think that's well put. By the way, Carl Sheffers, how do you say his name, the referee? His his crew led the NFL with 16.6 yeah. flags thrown. Now, the 49ers and Rams aren't oft penalized as compared to some of the other teams, but that'll be interesting to keep an eye on as well. We continue. It's Depends Lombardi on who's line. on that crew, though, too. Oh, great point. We continue. Lombardi Line, Vista and the Sports Betting Network. Listening to the Lombardi Line on VSEN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Okay, Lombardi Line, wherever you find your podcast now, readily available. However, you can stay up to date with every show here on VSEN. If you missed any part of any show, this show, uh, be- uh, Beating the Book with Gil, Alexander, Market Insights, Josh Applebaum, Hardwood Handicappers, JBT. Lombardi Line, Follow the Money, My Guys in the Desert, Coast to Coast Hoops. They're all free and available now at vcin.com slash podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, it's vcin.com slash. Look at that visual. That looks pretty cool with all the different graphics for all the different shows. Okay. Um, Lombardi Line. It, it appears, I'm looking, and it, it, the vote of confidence from your boy Jerry Jones, he said Mike McCarthy was never his job security, never in doubt. So what we do know with the offensive coordinator. I, I believe that, though. I do, I too. Do. I, I it's just going to be a circus. I believe that. It's, it's going to be a circus I believe this that. year, man. I mean, because I, I don't think Jerry's sitting there. If, once, it's a little bit like if you're thinking about retiring, you should probably retire. If you're thinking about firing the coach, you probably should fire. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, I think there's, there's this sense that you've got either, you know, once you get to that place, there's too much doubt in your mind. So you don't want to go there. And I don't think he did. I think he wants to fix what he has, which I think is the smart approach, you know, like, okay, if I get rid of McCarthy and I bring somebody else in, and this certainly is before the Sean Payton conversation, but if I bring somebody else in, what problems am I going to get that I don't know about that I don't have right now? And I think that that's ultimately one of the things you've got to consider. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I don't think Dave Campo was available, so maybe he, uh, no, he likes to have a, situ- a, a, Jerry likes to have a situation where he can also meddle, and certainly that's the situation, but with the offense coordinator back after a bunch of interviews, Quinn back after assuming he was going to get a job, and McCarthy back, I, you and I are going to be talking about this team exhaustively next year and it's going to be drama and they were ats wise for betters this year cowboys nobody was better 
Yeah, and, and they were hungry. I mean, look, this year they were coming off such a bad season with Dak's injury. They came into the year hungry. And let's face it, I mean, where they sit currently, and we don't know what's going to happen with Washington, you know, what's going to happen with the, the Eagles, what's going to happen with the New York football giants. I mean, a lot of people are thinking that maybe they're trending towards hiring Brian Flores. You know, I think they're going to make a decision sometime in the next 24 hours in New York. I think there's no doubt about that, whether it's Flores or Dayball. You know, I mean, they were interviewing Leslie Frazier today, I believe. So I think they're getting ready probably this afternoon to kind of finalize and who they can hire. So where are the Giants going to be? You know, and the Giants don't have cap room. The Eagles have three first-round picks. I mean, I think it's setting up perfectly right now for the, for the Cowboys to continue to be able to control the NFC East. And, you know, it's funny. We're talking about the Cowboys firing their coach. We never talk about the Washington football team firing Rivera, which to me, they had to be one of the most disappointing teams of the whole season. If, if you want to land on disappointment, look at them. I mean, really, look at their team. I mean, could you be more disappointing than what they were coming off of coming off a playoff season, even though they weren't a great playoff team? It took the Eagles to retreat in that game for them to get there. But a 7-10 and 10 season, losing four of the last five games? against the NFC, twice against Dallas, twice against Philly. I know they had COVID. I understand that. I know Garrett Gilbert played quarterback. I'm fully aware of that. You know, but to win four in a row and then to lose four in a row, wow. Yeah, they're a tricky one because, one, you constantly have the pervasive just – immoral situation with the owner kind of lingering over the program. You've got the name change, which they're going to announce on the second coming up next week. And then you had a half out of the quarterback they signed in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Remember, I think he played about a half of game one and then he was gone. Maybe even a quarter. You're right. So they have questions and I think it is right to question Rivera. And I think down in DC, they do question Rivera. You go on radio there. You know this. The question is, and it's the easy one for every team. What are you going to do at quarterback? If you have a quarterback, you're good. And the Washington football team, it looks like they're going to be trying to draft somebody or pick up someone. Heineke's well, not the answer. Of, six of the last uh, – five of the last six years, Rivera as a head coach have been below 500. I mean, he's, the 2017 season, he was 11-5. and five. But since that time, I mean, he hasn't been a very good coach. You know, I mean, he made the playoffs in 17 and he lost. He made the playoffs in 20 and he lost. I mean, you know, I mean, look, you know, he goes 6 and 10, 11 and 5, 7 and 9, 5 and 7, gets fired after week 13, then comes back with a 7 and 9 and a 7 and 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you would expect a quicker turnaround. At least, where is the, you know, and, and I think them passing on the quarterback was their decision. I mean, you could say Heineke's not the guy, and, you know, but they made the decision to go after Fitz, which eliminated them from drafting a young quarterback. Now they're going to go into the offseason with who's going to be their quarterback. That's a great question. Now, a couple things. One, Peyton went on the Dan Patrick show. It's interesting. He's Mm -hmm. setting himself up perfectly. He's basically saying, I'm definitely going to coach again. It's just not going to be this year because I want to be on TV. But he's kind of the world's his oyster moving forward. He's going to have options in both realms. Yeah, I mean, he's going to enjoy his life. I mean, you know, he's going to be able to go in there. And, I mean, he can do TV with his eyes closed because he knows so much of the league. He's been studying the league for so long. And I think he knows that he has to let people know that there's no doubt he's going to be uh, involved in, in football after this year. But I'm pretty certain he can't be involved contractually with this year. Uh, you know, to me, there's no way I think Gail Benson's going to say, hey, Sean, no worries. Why don't you just go ahead and leave, you know, and go coach another team? Could they get compensation? 
maybe if there was compensation, they'd have to work it. Out. I think they would have to work it out. There'd have to be an agreement. But if you have the energy to, if you have the energy to coach another team, why don't you have the energy to coach our team? <laughs> because the cap situation is abhorrent. Right. <laughs> you know, so he's, think, you know, he's getting out at wink, wink, the right time. But I think he, I think what he's doing too is letting people know that don't bother me this year, bother me next year. Yeah, that's fair. He he did say that he was contacted. That I love when people oh. flex like this. He's like, I was contacted by two or three teams, which is probably yeah. true. Absolutely. Hey, 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 look, when you won 152 games of the National Football League and you have a 63% winning percentage over those games, you should be contacted. I would. It would be negligence on the part of any one of the 31 teams to not make a phone call to Don Yee, including if you have, you know, maybe not Belichick, maybe not Kansas City and Andy Reid, you know, when you have a good coach, Mike Vrabel. Let's say, just say, 10 great coaches in the league, you, you would be negligent not to at least call and see if he would be interested, even if you had a coach. And Don Yee is his agent, correct? Yes, yeah, that's a big name in agency. That's a big name as far as an agent. Well, you know, it's interesting. Don Yee started out his career with Marvin Demoff, and then he transferred on his to his own, and now he's, you know, now he's kind of towards the, you know, the end of his career, and he's got Tom Brady, and he's got Sean Payton, who's had since Sean Payton really came into the National Football League years ago. The Saints, to stick with them just for a second. So Aaron Glenn. Did a good job with that Lions defense, Michael, and a former Saint. They, I guess they're interviewing Dennis Allen in-house. That's a fascinating name. Were you involved with the Raiders when Allen was there for those three, four years? No, he came in afterwards after I had already left. And Got it. so, you know, I mean, I think he, I think he's, you know, I'm sure he's learned a lot. I think there's such a hesitancy by most of these teams to, you know, not want to bring back the, the guys who have fired. I mean, Dennis Allen won eight games at the Raiders. You know, he coached two and a, two and a quarter seasons. He was eight and 28, you know, and so it didn't go well. But they were a bad team. They had severe cap issues. You know, I, I still believe, I want to say, you know, this was, this was after the, I think after he got fired, after he got fired in that game, I think, you know, I'm not sure if Davis was still there or if he was if the transitional state. No, I think I think Mr. Davis was already gone from. That's right. Reggie McKenzie was the GM, so they weren't a good team. They had were they were paying a severe price for all the cap mistakes that were made in prior years. And he took over a really bad football team. He I did. mean, let's face it. He he took over a team there. They had just drafted Carr the year before, and they were trying to get it going. And then ultimately, it became a problem. So his name, I mean, I don't know if it's cursory, but he will be interviewed. He's done a great, the, the, the strength of that team, even with Peyton, has been the defense the past couple. I mean, that defense was great last year. No, I mean, he's done a good job. And I think sometimes when you, when you had such a bad first time as your head coach, if you're really good and you spend a lot of time analyzing yourself and kind of figuring out where you made mistakes and what you didn't do well, besides just blame the players, I think you have a much better chance to be successful the next time. I think that's well put. It'll be it's I feel like Flores and Dayball are the pieces right now. We're trying to figure out where they're going to end up. Dayball maybe Miami, though there is the connection with the Giants. And Flores who's interviewed for these hey, it's like you said as soon as he was fired, he immediately deserves a job. You just wonder if he does have a little bit of the pick of the litter here. You know, I I think he's certainly I mean he's interviewing New Orleans. They also put a put a uh 
a request in for him. I mean, he should be. He should be a head NFL coach. Now, you know, people say he's hard to get along with. Well, I think I think instead of taking people's word for it, you ought to just sit down and talk to the guy. The guy did a wonderful job this year. And so I think there's going to be I, – I can say this. I don't care who they hire in Miami, if they hire one of my friends or not. It's going to be hard to find a better coach than oh, Brian Flores. You might find a better person to get along with, but you're going to have a harder time finding a better coach. And that being said, I think that, you know, he deserves a job. I'm hearing it's trending towards the Giants, but he's got Houston. He's got New Orleans. He's still he's still in play in a lot of places. I, I think Miami wants an offensive coach. I, do I really do. They want to keep their defensive staff in place. You know, New York and the tri-state is so provincial. I don't know why Moore is not being made about him literally being from Brooklyn, coaching the Giants yeah. then. It's like, that's the fit. We continue. Wes Reynolds right. next. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. to the Lombardi line on VSEN featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again, here's Patrick Maher. Lombardi line presented by BetMGM as we welcome you back. Let's tell you about BetMGM, the king of sports books. So You've got BetMGM, right? It is the king of sportsbooks. Here it is. If you bet 10 bucks, you win 200. Any NBA game, you just bet a money line 10 bucks. You just make a play. And if anybody hits a three-pointer in the game, you're going to win 200 bucks. It's that simple. This is for new bettors, though. And when you bet through MGM, you're going to earn M-Life rewards redeemable for room and dining at MGM Resorts Worldwide. So, again, use that bonus code VSIN200, VSIN200 tonight. Pick an NBA game, bet 10 bucks, win 200 if anybody hits a three. 1-800-522-4700 if you do have a gambling issue. Michael Lombardi there in Jersey where we're getting the logistics Ready for the new? Are they? Do they name the nor'easter? I like. I know they. No, name, it's not like a hurricane. You no, get we a don't name. Do that as a hurricane. I would think you would. King yeah. Dominic I mean, coming through. Yeah, he's going to get worse. They're going to get it worse up in the Boston area. I mean, because it's a storm that's out at sea, and what people don't realize is obviously if you look at a map, you do. But Boston's like 500 miles out into the Atlantic compared to where we are. Yes. You know, so that's this storm is heading directly to them. So Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard and all those places, they're going to get slammed. 
and so is Foxborough, and and a lot of the, the Cape is going to get hit. Not that I'm a meteorologist here, but they're going to get hit fairly hard as well. Yeah, it is. Uh, our buddy Kevin here, our engineer, he said his family's in Ohio. They got, what, two feet? A foot and a half? Two feet? My goodness. Uh, I know our next guest doesn't have snow because he's in Henderson, Nevada, and that is Wes Reynolds, who joins us, of course, VEASAN hosts, Long Shots, Betting Across America, Green Zone. Hi, Wes. How you doing, buddy? Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing very, very well. Just an overview before we jump in. You got a lot of specific bets, including that Bengals first quarter. An overview on the side in total. We'll start with the Bengals Chiefs, seven and a half here at the South Point and 54. Just your overall thoughts on the number. Yeah, I'm not surprised that the total went up based on what we saw last week, of course. Ended up being 78 total points in overtime. But when you really go back to that game, it was 26 to 21 just inside the two-minute warning. And Josh Allen had to convert a fourth and 13, which he did to Gabriel Davis. So we kind of look at that game like, oh, shootout, one of the greatest modern-day uh, or games in uh, modern-day playoff history. But I think that's inflated the total a little bit because this opened 50 and a half. It's gone up to 54 and a half. I do think that you're probably going to get some buyback once you get to 55. I think some people are going to come in on the under. And one thing that does kind of favor the under, I believe, is the fact that Bill Vinovich is the head official for this game. And I talked about it on the Tuesday Lombardi line. This is a guy that I think favors the under a little bit because he calls the least amount of penalties in the National Football League. I think his crew, albeit this is going to be a mixed crew for this game, but the referee sets the tone and tenor of the game. Just 10.9 penalties a game. If you go the last five years, Bill Vinovich, 61-36-1 of the under, that's 63%, where you're going to get maybe the exact opposite with Carl Sheffers on the NFC game. Well, you know, but but the only thing I would say, Wes, is I don't think you can carry over Vinovich's numbers because of the crew into because of the crew. That's the only thing I would say. I would I, I think I love your logic. I think your logic also is prevailing in the sense that the last time these teams played, they both only had nine possessions. And if you're only going to be a nine possession game and, you know, and you force some mistakes within those nine possessions, you've got a chance to, to definitely hit this under. Because I think the way the Bengals played the second half was more the way they have to play the game in, in Harrowhead. It would limit the amount of time Patrick Mahomes has to football. The next number, it's three and a half still. And Michael and I, Wes, were discussing it. Just an overview in Los Angeles, three and a half on the side. Yeah, and I think that this is the right number because it was the number in the first two meetings. It was three and a half in both games. The way I basically have played this is a hedge because I do have that Rams Super Bowl future from the summer at 15 to one still pending. I am going to hedge off a little bit with the 49ers in this spot, but looking at this game, like we were talking about the referees, it is Carl Sheffers on this game who calls the most penalties of any crew. Now, this is a mixed crew, as Michael points out. But I wonder, you know, who really that's going to favor here. And I think you might have two teams that kind of struggle a little bit to run the ball. San Francisco has been great, but now you got to do it against the Rams. 
And also with the Rams, the 49ers have been number one in rush defense DVOA really the last eight weeks. They have been absolutely ferocious against the run. And we kind of saw it last week. Cam Akers got a heavy workload, 24 carries, but he only had 48 yards against this Bucks front. Now, part of that was because the Bucks were loading up the box, trying to get the ball back as McVay. They kind of went into shell mode, trying to run down the clock. But that led me to kind of a prop this week. I did take Cam Akers under 63 and a half rushing yards just because I think you're going to see a little bit more of a split this time around with Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle only got one carry last week, but and we know that he's not really the home run hitter in terms of breaking off long runs. Cam Akers can do that much better than Michelle. But one thing Sony Michelle does is he holds on to the football. And Cam Akers did not do that last week. And that was only Akers' third game of the season. He had that last game against San Francisco where they blew that 17-0 lead against the 49ers. And he only had like five carries that game. And then they've gone up progressively more for the two playoff games. But he got a heavy workload last week and didn't really get much production. Yeah, and you know the thing I think you're right about, Wes, is uh, is the fact that when you break this, the last two games, the Rams ran for 52 and 64 yards combined in, in both games, right? So, you know, they didn't really they, – they barely got over 100 yards in the two games. But the one thing, McVay kept trying to run the ball. He knew that if he got into all pass, it was going to be problematic. And I think that does play into effect. I don't think he's as concerned about yards per carry as much as he is as trying to pace the game to his advantage to keep right. that offensive line from having to block those guys. Wes, couple plays here. I'm going to give you two and a half, actually. So you like first quarter, you like the Bengals catching two, two and a half. Yeah, I do. And that really honestly goes against the numbers. Usually I try to have numbers that support this, but the numbers kind of counteract that. The Bengals this year have been 28th in first quarter DVOA on offense. And yet I like them here for the first quarter just because I think the Bengals might be a little bit more loose here because it's kind of like, okay, we're ahead of schedule. Now, the pressure exists for both teams, don't get me wrong, when you're 60 minutes away from uh, going to the Super Bowl. But if you look at that, the, the Chiefs have come off what was seen as, oh, one of the greatest games in modern-day playoff history, the de facto AFC championship game where they knocked off the Bills and paid them back from that week three regular season loss. So I think the Bengals, I don't want to, you know, overuse the term house money here, but I think the Bengals might be a little bit more loose early on rather than Kansas City. And we've seen Kansas City so far in two playoff games get off the slow starts because we remember that Pittsburgh game, no score in the first quarter. And then Andy Reid, they kind of got a little cute with the receiver handing off to the running back. And then they fumbled. T.J. Watt houses it for a return touchdown. And then it was kind of like, okay, we got this Pittsburgh team that can't even complete a forward pass right now, and we're down 7 nothing to them. So it's like, let's get serious. And they did and went right down and scored. And then you saw last week, Buffalo got the early score, and then the Chiefs responded 7-7. Seven to seven. They were taking long time on these drives, too. These were not like quick two- and three-minute drives. These were six-, seven-minute drives. So you've seen the Chiefs get off to a little bit more of a slow start this year. I don't think that they're necessarily hitting bombs down the field. They're kind of taking what the defense gives them, working the middle of the field, incorporating the running game, kind of mixing it up. And you've seen long drives here. So I think Cincinnati can get off to a good start. I think they hang for 15, 30 minutes, and then the second half kind of water finds its level and it gets away from them. 
That's kind of my thought too, Wes. I think the, I think the longer this game goes, the further away it gets from the Bengals. The more their offensive line has to block in Arrowhead with crowd noise, and Burrow can't just throw the ball up to Jamar Chase and have him make a play. Wes, on the way out here, a play that you kind of sent along stood out to me, and it's in the Mountain West College hoops. Wyoming's laying seven and a half at Air Force. Two pretty good teams. Should they be laying that price? Yeah, I took eight. I would still, I'd still take seven and a half. Wyoming has been very good this year. They're up there in the Mountain West standings, but they lost a tough one on Tuesday to Boise State. They led with two minutes to go, ended up losing by three at Boise. So I wonder if there's a little bit of a hangover here because Wyoming has Colorado State next Monday, who's been really them and Boise have been the two best teams in the Mountain West. And you got an Air Force team that's four and one as a home dog this year, Joe Scott back for his second time go around. If you remember, Scott was the coach in the early 2000s in Air Force where they made the NCAA tournament for like the first time in over 40 years. And, you know, 10 and 8 and, and 3 and 4 in the league, not an overwhelmingly talented team, but we know what Joe Scott likes to do. They run that Princeton offense. They're kind of tough to prepare for. They're frustrating to play against. So I like the Falcons getting seven and a half. Hey, Wes Reynolds, good luck this weekend, my friend. You're going to be busy as well at Wes Reynolds one on Twitter. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. Thank you, Wes Reynolds. Thanks, Wes. We continue. Got plenty to do. More coaching news as well. Coming up in the next hour here, Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. It's VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.